0: You're listening to the HS DNA Podcast from the Garden State. Your host, Justin Starbird, and guests from HS Design walk you through each step of the medical product development process. Listen in as they discuss topics like contextual research, human factor testing, and conceptualization, giving you the best practices and real examples of success in the field. And now, here's your host, Justin Starbird. Welcome back to this episode of HS DNA. My name is Justin Starward, and I'm excited because today we are continuing our mini series on applied human factors in medical device design. A book done by our very own Dr. Mary Beth Privitera, and she is with me today to talk about formative design evaluation and reporting. Mary Beth, welcome back to the show.
1: Oh, thanks, Justin. Happy to be here. I'm excited. Um, formative design evaluation and reporting is uh, is so fundamental to the human factors process. This is a great topic.
0: Awesome. Well, you know, this was such an interesting um, book that you put together, and I know we've talked about it before, but you've had some amazing um, authors that also uh, assisted you. Who, uh, who participated in this particular section to bring this um, Bring the subject of formative design evaluation and reporting to life.
1: Yeah, well, thanks for asking. Because you know, um, you know, I, I, and just just before I, I jump into my to my fantastic authors, a, l- a little bit of background. You know, the this is really uh, about getting feedback from users, and it's, it's a key component. Um, it's done in in um, applying human factors in medical device design. Just over and over again, it's an iterative process, and it's really Done with lots of different levels of fidelity and lots of different techniques. And so when we we're looking at the author team for this, you know, we We're looking for who can really discuss the breadth with which we can do formative evaluation so um, We have a chapter in here on heuristic analysis cognitive walkthroughs and expert reviews and then um, we're talking about simulated use formative and I think that's fundamental and and is super important. Um, the simulated use formatives is actually authored by Deborah Billings Brookie and Trust Daniels, along with Melissa Lemke. Um, that that author team really shown some light in regards to how to go through and get the right level of fidelity, and to show the breadth with which you can do simulated use testing. And and I think that that is also. Critical to setting up your validation work and getting into the right type of a validation study, or and even the formative study, where in the test in and of itself is going to be, um, you know, subject. You, you don't want to fail or have a lot of use errors as a result of your testing. And so, um, you know, this is this is just a great section to discuss all of the different levels throughout the design process of how how to go ahead and. Um, and to get those formative design evaluations taken care of.
0: So let's just jump right in then um, on this. This is obviously a really important section within the book. Well, really they all are, but this is um, another one where, uh, you know, you've done a great job of giving, you know, clear oversight and overview into, um, into these topics. So let me ask you, what is uh, heuristic analysis and how is it even used to improve design?
1: Yeah. So, you know, the term heuristic evaluation and analysis, I mean, that, that is, uh, again, something that's a bit um, aged. Uh, it actually was proposed by Nielsen and Mullick in 1990 as a means for identifying usability issues found in software. And so we're borrowing that technique and applying it in, in a myriad of ways. It's, it's a technique that is promoted by the FDA guidance uh, in order to identify problems and make recommendations for improving usability um, earlier, rather sooner rather than later. And so it's kind of a fancy word. A lot of people do not know that that word, but essentially um, Nielsen Norman came away with 10 heuristics um, which are principles of good design um, they they cover things just to give you kind of an example uh, visibility of the system status so knowing that knowing where and how things are turned on uh, you know are they on are they off um, what's the appropriate feedback and then matching your, your you know what you're expecting the device to do to what the user really what the device really does and. Enabling them to control functions. So if they make a mistake, can they back out? Is it consistent to standards? Does the design itself prevent errors? Is there any type of flexibility? Um, and, and, and then to take those, those and there's 10 that's by Nielsen Norman, uh, um, and then um, take those heuristics. And then just really evaluate the design to say it's not a problem. Maybe it is a problem it's minor, or it's a big problem. And then, and then make recommendations. So it's kind of a four-step process. It's done on the bench, mm-hmm. um, which, which is really great because it's, because it's a technique that um, has been around for a while. There's a, a, um, another author by the name of Zhang, Who actually took and made it fourteen? And Zhang focused on medical devices. So he
0: took he the four-step process, and he made it fourteen.
1: He took no, it's still a four-step process. But what he did was he took the ten heuristics of Norman um, Mm. that were that were you know done in the nineteen nineties, and then he said, okay, well, what about medical devices? And how can I get something that is specific to medical devices? And then, uh, and then validate them. So there's 14, he's got 14 heuristics. Still the same process of taking a user interface, taking the 14 heuristics and evaluating them and then coming away with recommendations. Mm-hmm. So really simple, very, very simple task to do. It's, it's really nothing more than that. And then to ask the question of how can I improve the design based on these heuristics that I, that I know work.
0: Sure man that's fascinating, so let me ask you another one then um you know you talked a little bit about uh cognitive walkthrough. Can you explain that
1: yeah so um again it's a little bit like the heuristic evaluation only um cognitive walkthrough is um it's to to take a, maybe a novice user or an expert user and to to go through the the user interface and and to provide an evaluation um it, it it it's simple also in that it asks um a simple it asks a few simple questions like will the user know what to do at that particular step and if they do if they do the right thing then are they making progress to the, to their goal will they try to achieve the right outcome will they they notice the correct action is available to them so it it, it just asks some some basic questions um and in the book, there's even a template that you can you can take and, and use the you know for each one of the tasks, just use the template of did they do it right? Did they did they, was it wrong? Um, so it's really just um, the the ability to go through that user interface and look for ways to improve it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Lynn, can you walk through us, walk with us through um, how have, you know, expert reviews in human factors been conducted? And, and really, what's the difference between expert review and then, you know, the cognitive walkthrough you just explained?
1: Yeah, so um, the, the, the thing about heuristic analysis, cognitive walkthroughs and expert reviews is the expert can be a human factors expert. Or it could be, the expert could be a, uh, a, an actual user. So this, this methodology of, of a formative evaluation, um, I think people do it, but they don't write it down and they don't include it in terms of, they don't document it in a way that can be credited for a formative evaluation. Um, there, there can be almost no difference between a cognitive walkthrough and an expert review. If I take my, my user and I say, okay, um, here's here's a, a software prototype that, that may be on, even on paper or it may be done on an iPad and I, I have them walk through those steps. I'm actually doing a cognitive walkthrough and I'm, I'm asking the same questions um, that, that I would. Now an expert review, a human factors expert review could be something a little bit more in depth where I'm taking and I'm looking at the standards and I'm comparing does this device design meet the standards that are presented in HE-75 or known usability standards? Um, how closely am I, am I tied to it while I'm also going through that walkthrough? At the end of the day, the way that we should think about this is, a, is something that can be done in-house and something that can be done relatively cheaply. Um, it doesn't have to be expensive and it doesn't have to involve users and you can still get through some of your human factors in without going through the lengthy studies. So it's super helpful at the beginning of that design process or for people that are time strapped or dollar strapped.
0: Then how, let me ask you then, how do they, how do you document the expert reviews or, or is there, you know, um, a need for having expert reviews?
1: Oh, absolutely. There's, there's definitely a need for them. Um, Documenting them, you know, there's a, there's a myriad of ways of, of documenting. I know that when um hsd documents them we go through a step-by-step and we describe what the step is we describe the user interface um we'll describe the potential risk areas we'll describe the potential risk mitigations of that particular within that step and then um what are the opportunities to improve design so we're we're always focused on design and that and that can be done in a PowerPoint, a Word document, you know, there's a whole host of different ways that, that you can, um, that you can document it. Um, but the point is to write it down and put it into the design control system so that you can reference it.
0: Mm-hmm. So do you also have to have users involved in those formative um, usability tests?
1: You do not. I know that oftentimes we think of um, having a, a usability testing. In fact, this came up in the office just last week where, you know, we were getting ready um, to do a formative evaluation with users. And um, we had, we, we weren't really, we were, it was more getting down to, well, a finger obscure on this touchscreen user interface. Um, and we were looking at the overall budget of the program and decided that it would, that we could figure this out by an in-house heuristic evaluation expert review, um, looking at the standards, rather than go through the cost and the expense of involving our users right now, and that it would be better to involve our users when we had something a little bit more functional. Um, because, it and, and that leads us, you know, to the to the next section in regards to simulated use testing, because when they're actually using it, you can get more of those use errors, um, more of the, the risks associated with it. Mm-hmm. So, you no, know, you don't need them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully uh, you're practicing uh, social distancing within the office when that came up or via a zoom call, right?
1: <laughs> uh, Absolutely. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I know we've touched upon this in a different podcast and, you know, we we, um, talked with you and Tor a little bit about, um, you know, how human factors are are changing, you know, right now and, and you doing it from afar. Uh, can you touch on that, uh, you know, really quickly, but as we're in the midst of this, you know, global pandemic and, you know, different uh, parts of the country are on, are on lockdown for the next several sure. weeks. Sure,
1: well, aside from validation studies, you know, uh, We can do a lot of things online, um, and it it really gets down to looking at what makes sense to do things like a heuristic analysis, like a cognitive walkthrough. We can do that in-house and and not involve those users. Um, We can do a lot via web conferencing, web tools. Um, There's even tools where if you did want to have a, a conversation, the ability to send a prototype out Um, you there's even software that you can have participants be invisible to the participant where you have a virtual back room and and they don't need to see everyone that's involved so you know our our practice is largely since we're focused on design our, our practice is largely unchanged with the exception of the the validation in regards to social distancing but you know this is the time when heuristic analysis, cognitive walkthroughs, and expert reviews really need to come front and center because they're the the easiest, um, you know, the, the the first and foremost uh, tool that we have in our toolbox to make sure that we're doing good design.
0: Well, and I got to believe, that you know, that kind of leads into what you were just talking about, which is the simulated uh, use testing. And, uh, you know, can you walk us through some of the best practices and maybe how those have been challenged over the last several weeks?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. So, you know, um, the, the author team, Deborah, Tressa and Melissa did a really great job in talking about, um, you know, what does it mean to have the, the simulated use and, you know, you can still, you can even do those, um, those remotely too. You just have to have the right material. So for example, um, There are um, injection pads. So if you wanted to do a a simulated use um, evaluation, a formative evaluation on on a combination product that delivered via syringe, you know, you just have to make sure that you send along the ability and the means for them to go ahead and to simulate that use. The other the other challenge with social distancing means that you may need to set up multiple cameras, which do need to have a little bit of instruction. So in, in our practice, we've been doing things like the incorporating both a, a, a participant's computer and their cell phone. So obviously, making sure that they're a little bit tech savvy before we send things, and we found that most physicians, most clinicians are tech savvy and they can handle that that setup. Um, so, so there is, uh, there is a very good way to, to to do that remotely. When you're not remote, and what's covered in the chapter is how can I um, get the the right methodology, methodology and the right fidelity for doing something in person, and and being the differences between formal or informal, and coming up with clear objectives, and that that's the consistency right there.
0: Mm-hmm. So, when you complete a test, um, what's the most important information that does get reported out and, and, you know, what maybe should not be ignored?
1: Yeah, I mean, and that gets down to the, you know, writing really clear objectives. You know, we should always start off with that a formative usability evaluation is, is really about informing device design um, and, and to support design. So, you know, it, it's really about, did I verify any type of assumptions and did I, did I look for the effectiveness of the labeling? Um, you know, when you think about what should not be ignored, you can write what happened down in the study. Um, and that's always, you know, oh, this happened and that happened and this happened. Um, but it takes the right type of person, the right type of analysis to take a step back and to say, okay, okay. So that happened what does that mean to design is that something that i can change is it something that you know the schedule can tolerate in regards to that change Does i build enough time to or, or and and or money to to make that change is that appropriate what you know what can i do by design and, and that gets down to you know the previous section where we were talking about the device design in general versus mm-hmm. the design of the instructional materials so What's not ignored? Uh, the design.
0: Right. <laughs> so I know you've had some pretty special guests um, working with you on this, Deborah, um, uh, Tressa, and, and Melissa as they you know, worked with you on this section. Um, this is, uh, I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Uh, having them you know, participate with you, what was one of the, the, your more favorite things that you learned that you didn't know um, within these topics uh, in this section?
1: Oh golly, um, that's a t- that is a good good question. Um, you know, I think it wasn't so much as a, a, uh, a like an aha, like I didn't I didn't know. I, I appreciated their ability to pull it all together into digestible chunks um, to take and to say, okay, so I, I've got to write down those objectives and test my my individual attributes. Um and and then I guess the the you know one of the things would be the correlation they've they, they got really good information in regards to the um to the timing of where you are in the design process to the benefits of running the study to the costs associated with it. So it wasn't as much of a oh I didn't know that before, but it was a Oh yeah, that's spot on. And, and that's something, and I'm glad that they wrote that down because now I have something that I can reference and I can look it up and, you know, and, and I do that all the time where I'm just like, Oh, okay, what, what did we say over here on that? And, mm-hmm. and I can just look it up. So, um, so that, that, that was probably the, 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 biggest, the biggest takeaway.
0: Cool. Well, Mary Beth, thank you for joining us on this episode in part four for your recent book, Applied Human Factors and Medical Device Design, where we covered formative evaluation and design and reporting. You know, until next time, thanks for listening. This has been the latest episode of the HSDNA podcast. On behalf of our guests today and host Justin Starbird, thank you for listening. As always, to listen to other episodes of HSDNA, go to hs-design.com and scroll over the HSDNA tab on our menu. Until next time, thanks for listening.